as well, or uh, live stream. Um, and uh, so let's pray for our time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gift of the Lord's Day. Uh, all throughout the created order. Since you created mankind, you gave him one day and seven. And yet now, Father, we have it at the beginning of the week because the author of our rest has come. And we are to start our week with, with him and with rest. And we ask that you would bless us now with that rest, that it would linger throughout the rest of the week, that if your son Terry will come again for another gathering as your people, or will be gathered to glory. And so we ask you to bless the reading and the preaching of your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our reading this morning comes from the letter to the Hebrews, uh, chapter 4. If you would turn there, please. The writer <clears throat> has, uh, has sadly had to deal with an audience this dull and weary. And they're behind. They're behind in their Christian growth. And uh, they've suffered many things for the sake of Christ. I want to read this uh, summary from Dennis Johnson once again. I think it helps crystallize what's going on in this audience here. This is what Dennis Johnson says. He's a uh, professor emeritus from Westminster Seminary, California. The addressees began their pilgrimage of faith well when enlightened by the gospel, enduring suffering and caring for other sufferers for Jesus' sake. At the time of the writing, however, some were in danger not only of abandoning the Christian gathering, but also of renouncing their confession of trust in Christ and his atoning blood. The sermon argues throughout that Jesus and his redemptive work surpasses and replaces the means of atonement and access to God, the sanctuary and sacrifices commanded in the law of Moses. This argument seems to imply that the hearers were inclined to look to the institutions of Judaism for assurance of God's forgiveness, as well as for relief from persecution. I would also add, I think what it also means is that they're looking for rest in a wrong place, as I argued last week. That they're not looking for rest from the one who can give us rest, but are going backwards to the types and signs that were, that were pointing to the very one who would be the author of our salvation and the author of our rest. And so he, he says in, in uh, verse 2-1, he says that these people need to pay closer attention to what they've heard. Not just of what they know of Jesus, but also to the Old Testament. He says in verse five eleven that these people are dull. What a sad commentary. Uh, we would never want to be called dull in the sense of being behind in where we should be. And on top of that, he says in 5-12 of Hebrews, that by this time, some of these people should have been teachers. They should have been teachers, and yet because they're behind, the church is suffering because the ones who were called probably to be raised up to be teachers were behind and were not fulfilling their callings in Christ. And so this is who he's addressing, and uh, he has warned him in the, the passage right before this text we're gonna, I'm going to read in just a second. He says, he says, today, don't harden your hearts when you hear the word of God. And we realize that every time we hear the word of God, there's a hardening that can go on or there can be an embracing of the truth by faith. And so he's calling them to, to, to embrace the truth and don't harden your hearts. And he reminds them of what happened with uh, Moses leading the people through the wilderness and then Joshua leading the people through the wilderness that some didn't enter that typological rest of the, of the promised land. And he says, don't let this happen to you. And then we hear these words uh, from the writer here. I'll start with verse 11. 
Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hid from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Very striking words, very penetrating words. And we're going to try to look at this uh, shortly under two points. And those will be, first, the piercing nature of God's word. The piercing nature of God's word. And then, secondly, the comfort of God's word. Secondly, the comfort of God's word. And I would just remind ourselves and those who are live streaming that in some ways we're very, we're very much like these people uh, as far as being weary. I assume you're weary of COVID. When I came in here, uh, there was very few people in here. And uh, over the last uh, five to ten minutes, it's like the Lord gave us a spiritual miracle, miracle grow. And all of a sudden we have more people here. So I'm very grateful for that. But I'm sure there's others who are online who either are suffering from COVID themselves or just want to be cautious and uh, I know that as I've visited many churches, everybody's so weary, so weary. And either it can lead to great discouragement and almost despair, or for unbelievers, they kind of get out of control. On my way over here from Bowie, just a short trip, it only takes like 25 minutes, 30 minutes. Speed limit on uh, Laurel Bowie Road, I think, is 45 miles an hour. And I had somebody beeping at me. <laughs> and he flew by me. He's probably going 70 miles an hour. You know, and you just, you see things starting to happen in in our society, and it can unnerve you a little bit. And yet, this is why the Word of God is so important to us, because it sheds a light on what's going on in the world. We know this is not unusual. We know that those, there are those in the world who, by nature, after the fall, are enemies of the Lord. And yet, for us as the people of God, we should have perfect confidence and peace. Not because things are going so well externally, but because we know the one who rules over all things. The one who's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, accomplishing all, all of his good purposes. And no one will thwart his hand. And so as the writer encourages his people to have patient endurance, we're called to have patient endurance as well. But our writer is a wonderful pastor. And so what does he do? He exposes their sins... He exposes the sins of his hearers, and then he brings them back to the Word of God, both Old and New Testament. And they also, in so doing, he brings before their eyes Jesus. We always need to have Jesus before our eyes, and that's the great blessing of the Lord's Day, is to start off the week with Jesus before our eyes. And that as we go through our week, we have all those things that we've remembered from the Lord's Day going through our minds. It just changes how we face the world. I've, I've seen this just in my own private devotional life. When I'm in the morning, in the Word, and I, let, and I really kind of open my heart as much as it lies within me, it's just like the rest of the day just kind of sails by. I'm not, I'm not undone by what happens. It's like, okay, the Lord's in control. We'll just see what He does. And we're always waiting on Him. We're always resting in Christ, our Good, our good Shepherd. And so here in this passage, our writer is bringing us to the word of God. And I want to look at this under this point, as I said, the piercing nature of God's word, the piercing nature of God's word. And, you know, I can say those words, but can we feel it? Can we feel that the word of God is piercing? Hopefully at some point in your life, you've been in the word and maybe you've been very discouraged. And somehow the Lord lifts your spirit. The Lord lifts your spirit. 
Or maybe there's another time where maybe your heart is sort of hard. And the word comes and it, and it strikes you and it convicts you. It makes you sad for your sin. It makes you want to repent. This is the power of the word. And this is what the, the good shepherd, the writer of Hebrews, is doing. He brings the word before their eyes once again. But I, I, I want us to take a look at the prophets because the prophets were one of the spokespersons of God's word. As the writer to the Hebrews starts out his letter, he says, God spoke to us in many ways in the past through the prophets. And I, wanna, I want us to see the piercing nature of God's word through the prophets with just one of the prophets. I want to use an example of one of the prophets, and that prophet is Elisha. Not Elijah, but Elisha. But before we go there, I think we need to understand how could the prophets speak the word of God? Where did they get their light? Where did they get their... Uh, their source of wisdom. And the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 1, 19-21 says this, And so we have had the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. These words sound very rem- uh, reminiscent of what this writer to the Hebrews is saying. Until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. And here's what's so important. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture becomes a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That the light, the wisdom that the prophets had was not their, their own innate wisdom or light. It was borrowed light. It was, it was donated light from God himself by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that it was almost like the game red light, green light. If you've ever played that as a kid, you know, red light, you stop, green light, you go. Red light, you stop, green light, you go. And the prophets were not to speak unless they had been given a word from the Lord. But once they'd been given a word from the Lord, they had to speak. They must speak or they would be disobedient to God. And so every time we look at the prophets in the Old Testament, even up to the prophet uh, John the Baptist, Everything that they said, rightly, was given to them from God to say. And when they held their tongue, they were to stop speaking. But it's interesting to notice in the life of Elijah, of Elisha, two instances in his life that really bring this out. In Second uh, Kings, in uh, Second uh, Kings four verses eight to thirty-six, Elisha had been going to Shunem. And over his time, there was a Shunammite woman, and she would give him food, and over time, she provided a place for him to stay in, in, in her house, uh, in the upper room. And so Elisha was very grateful, and he talks to his serv- servant, Gehazi, and he says, what can we do for this lady? And he, he talks to her, he says, can I speak a word to you for the king? She said, no. So he asked Gehazi again, what can we do for this lady? He says, well, you know, her husband's very old, and she doesn't have a son. So he says, he calls her, he says, you're going to have a son. She says, oh, no, my Lord, no, my Lord. And maybe she was afraid that it wouldn't come to be. She had maybe desired a son for a long time. And yet, in, in the providence of God, a year later, she had a son. And then as the son grew up, he went out in the fields with his father. And one day, his head was hurting, and, and he was in pain, and he dies. And so the woman goes to Elisha, and she's coming to uh, to Elisha to talk to him. And I want, if you would, just turn to Second Kings 4 very briefly. Verse 25. 
So she, so she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, that's Elisha, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. For she is in bitter distress. And notice this. And the Lord has hidden it from me and not told me. The Lord has hidden it from me and not told me. Here is this great prophet Elisha. He has no idea why she's coming. Because the Lord had not spoken to him. The Lord had not given him the revelation by the Holy Spirit as to what was going on in this woman's life. Now eventually the the matter is disclosed and her son is raised from the dead. A wonderful, glorious end. But the point that's so important here is where it says in verse 27, And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So the prophet had nothing to say on the matter because he didn't know what was going on because it was a red light from the Lord. God had not given him the light or the spirit to say what was going on there. And so we see that even the prophets were stymied at certain times because the Lord had not revealed it. Their source, the one who gave them the light, didn't give them the light at that time. But then move on to 2 Kings 8. Turn over to 2 Kings 8. We see the exact opposite in another situation. Let me read this passage here. In 2 Kings 8, verses 7 to 15. Now Elisha came to Damascus. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. And when it was told him the man of God had come here, has come here, meaning Elisha, the king said to Hazael, Take a present with you and go to meet the man of God, and inquire of the Lord through him, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? So Hazael went to meet him and took a present with him, all kinds of goods of Damascus, forty camels loads. When he came and stood before him, he said, Your son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? And Elisha said to him, Go, say to him, You shall certainly recover. But the Lord has shown me that he shall certainly die. And he fixed his gaze and stared at him until he was embarrassed. And the man of God wept. And Haziel said, Why does my Lord weep? He answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. You will, set them, you will set on fire their fortresses, and you will kill their young men with the sword and dash in pieces their little ones and rip open their pregnant women. And Haziel said, What is your servant but is, who is but a dog that he should do this great thing? Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you are to be king over Syria. Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master who said to him, What did Elisha say to you? And he answered, He told me that you would certainly recover. But the next day he took the bedcloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face till he died. And Haziel became king in his place. As Elisha staring at this man, the God had given him such revelation, he knew what was in this man's heart. This this wisdom or this insight into, into the man was not from Elisha himself. He acknowledges it's from the Lord. He had this great light where he could see into this man's soul because the Lord had told him what was there. And so we see in one instance, 
Elisha has no clue because God hadn't given them the light. In the other instance, he gives us this incredible light into this man's soul, perfectly identifying what was going to happen. But you see, the source is the thing that's so important. It was God himself. It wasn't Elisha, as wonderful of a prophet as he was, but it was borrowed light. It was borrowed light. But we see the same type of of insight in our God himself. It's no surprise that Elisha could have such insight into this man's soul because he got it from God, who sees all things. Turn with me to Psalm 139, this wonderful psalm where we see the, the great piercing sight of God. Psalm 139, beginning with verse, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, even before a word is on our tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. This incredible, incredible insight, this, this bright, piercing insight is God's nature that he knows all things perfectly. Going on to the end of the psalm, because David knows this, he says this at the end of his psalm, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David had such a great understanding of the piercing nature of God's knowledge that he wanted him to search his heart. That's the desire of every believer. Know my heart, Lord. Find any sin and take it away and leave me in the path everlasting. This incredible, incredible, incredible piercing light. We said last week, last week we were talking about, you know, when we go to the hospital or go to the doctors, we want to know what's really going on. And we have these wonderful tests, whether it be x-rays or MRIs or CAT scans or whatever, to reveal the nature of what's going on in us physically. But the Word of God has an incredibly, an infinite, great, greater light. It tells us what's going on with us in the world of sin as well. It's an amazing, amazing light. And this is what God has of us all the time. This is what he's saying here in this verse, that God's, God's light is so piercing it sees through the thoughts and intentions of your heart. We see this in Jesus in Matthew 15. He starts off, he said, there's an incident where the Pharisees were complaining that his disciples didn't wash their hands, this external matter. And he says, you put aside the word of God to keep your tradition. tradition." And this is what it says in verse 10. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Going down to verse 16. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth and passes into the stomach is expelled. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The audience of the Writer to the Hebrews have become so dull, they, they don't even know where to go for their source of light and for their source of understanding. He has to bring them back to the Word of God. He has to bring them back to Christ. 
The word is always piercing. It always has that effect. It always has that powerful, searching nature of our hearts. And so what Jesus is telling us here is that's all he sees. It's what comes out of the heart. If we do any self-examination, we see how much our hearts have these things. And there's a sense in which these verses should undo us. They should undo us in one sense because it demonstrates how sinful our hearts are and how much God sees. In the past, I had a friend, a friend of Mark and my, his father was in a car accident in College Park. And at first, it seemed like everything was okay. Uh, and, yet, and yet afterwards, they realized he had internal bleeding. They couldn't see it. And he died of his internal bleeding. How, how good it would have been if they had known that, if they had some way of determining what was really going on in the inside. And yet how much more, how much more so do we want to know what's going on in the inside of our hearts? That God might see it and cleanse us. And so these verses should undo us in some sense. And that's what the point of the writer is. Saying to his hearers, he says, look, the word of God is sharp, it's sharp, it's piercing. And you are dull. I heard recently on the internet that the word of the year for one dictionary is vaccination. What's the, what's the benefit of vaccination? It immunizes you from disease. But it seems like these hearers are immunized by the, of the word of God. That the word of God was not making the inroads it should have. And so this is why the, the writer brings it to their eyes. It's like a wake-up call. It's like the word of God is so important. Don't harden your hearts. Don't be deceived. Don't drift off from Christ. Don't drift off from the word. Now hopefully today, most of you, if not all of you, are not in that bad of a state. But we all drift. We all drift. Even in very small measures, we drift. And so that's why we come back here to the Word of God, to sit under it, to sit under its authority, and by God's blessing to be pierced by it, if need be, to see our sins. To see our sins. And yet that's not the end of the story, though. We need to have that piercing nature of God's Word to uncover our sins. But it's also the word of God that gives us our comfort. The comfort of God's word. Hear these words from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The world is already under the condemnation of, 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 of God. By nature, as we fell in Adam, we all came under the condemnation of, of God. But in his kindness, he sent his son, his, his great beloved son, in whom he was well pleased, who never sinned, who to his last breath obeyed the Father, that he might be a perfect sacrifice for us. That all the, the sacrifices that were offered up in the Old Testament, that had to be without spot or blemish, all pointed to the the Lord Jesus, the great Messiah, who would be the sacrifice once for all, not repeated over and over and over again. They just pointed to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. And so Jesus came into the world, not to condemn the world because it's already under its condemnation, but he came that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Isn't this the problem of the hearers of the Hebrews? They, 
The word had been preached to them, but it hadn't been met with faith, it seems, because their symptoms didn't look good. The life of a lively Christian is always positive. It doesn't mean we don't sin. We always sin. But there's this forward movement in the Lord, this growing in our knowledge of the Lord. That's what we're called in Christ as his children. We're, we're, to, we're called to be holy. This is our privilege in Christ, is to be holy. 1 John 2, 1-2 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That means not just the Jews, but for all mankind. Where do we hear these words? We hear these words in the word of God that is piercing. And it's that medicine that we need, that God calls us to, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We can't take away our own sins. Nothing can take away our own sins. The sacrifices of the Levitical priesthood could not take them away eternally like Christ did. The sacrifices of the Old Testament, although they were there as a, as a pedagogy for God's people and appropriate for the time, were pointing to Christ because only he could give us a clean conscience. And so we see both in this piercing word, which there is nothing hidden from him, and it would utterly undo us, and will undo all those outside of Christ. In the same place, we see this glorious news, this good news, this gospel that God has provided a way of escape. It's in his son himself who has borne our sins, who says, come, come, come to me, all you who are heavy laden. But the, the audience of the letter to the Hebrews was looking in all the wrong places for rest. But it's the Lord Jesus who's the author of our rest, as he paid for our sins. He's the one who gives us true rest. And every Lord's Day, that, that rest should be renewed and growing as we get towards that day when we'll finally enter into that perfect rest with no more tears, no more sorrows, no more masks, <laughs> no more COVID. And so that's why the word of God is so important. It's, it is the light above all lights. It's there that we see our sin, and yet at the same time, it's there where we see our glorious Savior. And as the people of God, as I say, as we come Lord's Day after Lord's Day, we shouldn't be surprised to be convicted of our sins. We had our prayer of confession, and I find for myself sometimes the hardest thing is to have my heart engaged with the one who's praying that. But hopefully over time, my heart gets more and more in tune with that, because I have sinned this past week. I haven't loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, or strength. I haven't loved my neighbor as, as myself, not even my wife, who's far away. But we shouldn't be surprised, because God is making us holy, and he's taking away the dross as we're convicted of our sins. And he's renewing that with the life of his son, Jesus Christ. As John the Baptist says, I must decrease, but he must increase. And so as we go through this journey in this wilderness, that's what's happening. We're dying to self. We're losing our lives for Christ's sake. And Christ is being built up in us by his word. You know, I've, I've often wondered if I could even achieve the righteousness that was required by God. What a fool. <laughs> you ever thought that? Well, maybe if I... How much could I do to get there, you know? And it's, there's, it's impossible. It's a, it, we're just totally obliterated. That Jesus didn't do, as I said last week, he just, it wasn't just actions. It just, wasn't just words. It wasn't just thoughts, but it's affections. 
How much deeper can you get in a person's soul than their affections? When you see your affections go after something sinful. And the word of God demonstrates that to us. But at the same time, it points us to the one who had no no variance in his affections. Perfect obedience to his father. And we see in the New Testament, he says, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There was no sin in this son. He was perfectly, uh, he perfectly saw his son and and said, "He, He is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There was no sin in him. And that's the righteousness that we're clothed with as we come to Christ. 1 Corinthians 26 to 31. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the insignificant things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no human may boast before God. But it is due to him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, just as it is written, but the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That righteousness that Christ exhibited in this world, even to his last breath, is what he gives to us. And he closes us with that, this once-for-all act, where we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And yet, over time, in sanctification, he begins to, to make us more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. So we see that we are justified. We're seen with that righteousness that Christ had. We're beloved as the Son is in our union with Christ. And at the same time, unlike the Son who didn't need to be sanctified in that sense of sin, he makes us more and more like his Son, Jesus Christ. And so these are all ours in the Word of God, that piercing word that this writer has been making mention of. And so just a few applications. Let me ask you today, where are you? In your relationship with the Word? Is this something that you go to regularly? Is this something you start your day out with because you just really know you need it? As I get older, I'm, I'm almost afraid of the fact that I realize how much I need the Word. I, I need to be in the Word. I need to have its piercing effects on my own soul. I need to see that Christ loves me from the Word. That my sins are paid for. That I am His child. That I do have a hope beyond this world. And it's all in the Word, the Word of God. You know, sometimes we just come to the Word because we've just decided to, and yet the Lord blesses that time. But it always has that bright light. It's always piercing. And so we have to keep coming under the Word. So what is your relationship with the Word today and with the one of whom the Word speaks? The Lord Jesus. Do you see him as he is? Do you see him as your, your elder brother without sin who has given you his righteousness? Do you see him as your good shepherd who loves you? That no matter what is going on today, even the COVID, (laughs) all things work together. All things are working together. So we need to be in the word. And so here we are at the beginning of a year, almost one day off. Do you have some way of this coming year to be in God's word so that you're going to be regularly in God's word? Maybe for the first time you'll read through the the whole scripture in a year or something. What a great time to start. You know, we don't always start on the first of the year or the first of the month. Sometimes the Lord gives us other times. But, but just to begin to, 
to be more and more in God's word. That light that he has given us to point to his son, whether in the Old Testament or New Testament, pointing to his son, Jesus Christ. And so we have this admonition to ourselves that we're not to harden our hearts, but we're also to realize that the the word of God is that great light. It has great power above all the words of men. It can quiet us in times of difficulty. It can strengthen us, and it surely will by God's grace. Last application is, you know, I think about our time in God's history with this COVID matter, and um, like I said, people are kind of despairing. I think they're just, they don't know what to do. Even in the church, I see this great sadness. It's like, come back to the word. It's just like God said. Our, our hope is not in this world. You know, he'll get us through this time. He'll give us a quietness of heart that can sustain all the craziness in the world. He loves us. He's given us his son. He's given us his word. Not to ignore it, but to embrace it. To know it better. So we might grow in our love of God towards us in Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we do ask that we would see it as you see it. That we would see it with your evaluation, not our own. We often just put it to the side and think, I'll get to it. And yet, Father, how much we need to be under the light of your word. We need to see our sins for what they are. But then we need to see how great a Savior we have who has paid for all of them. So, Father, we ask as we look at this new year that you would help us as we seek to take up your word. And, and we ask that when we are under your word, whether it's in the public worship, as we are here this morning, or in a study, our own private times, or even pri- uh, family worship, that you would grant us the humility to stand before it rightly, that we would realize that it's your word, that it's true, and it's powerful, and for our good. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.